Don't be shocked if an education system that has thrown God out, the Bible out, prayer out, teaches evolution as fact, now has a worldview consistent with the foundation that man determines truth, therefore everyone does what is right in his own eyes, therefore anything goes except the absolutes of Christianity that say that's wrong. Welcome back to Fearless with Mark and Amber, the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. I'm Amber Archer, your co-host and producer at Fearless Features, and joining me, as usual, is my husband, other co-host of this show, Mark Archer. The co-host with the most. (laughs) It's your husband. Oh my goodness. So you guys, this is a husband and wife uh, podcast, so welcome to the show. Together, we started a filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, and we are creating documentaries from a biblical perspective on the issues eroding our society and culture on a mission to educate, motivate, and inspire others to get involved and take a stand for biblical principles and values. So if you are a regular listener to the program, hello and welcome back. Thank you for spending a few minutes of your day with us. We love sharing these interviews and what we've learned while researching for our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters. So, Mark, do you want to tell everybody what the Mind Polluters is about if they are first-time listeners and just joining us? Long-time listener, first-time caller. Right. So if you're a first-time listener, welcome. Uh, You're in part two of our interview with Ken Ham of Answers in Genesis. If you missed part one, go back to Tuesday's episode, and you can hear part one with Ken Ham. We're sharing with you the interviews uh, uh, in their entirety that we're gathering for the Mind Polluters, which is about the sexualization of our culture and our children through the education system. And it started off wondering what this thing called comprehensive sex ed and social emotional learning, what these were all about. And we have just found that the roots of this go far and wide Mm. and deep. And all over the country. And all over the country and all through history. And that has led us to talk to some fascinating people through the past few months, uh, really since last fall. Right. And if you've missed any of those episodes, you can go back um, and visit the website fearlessfeatures.org and search the archives of the podcast. And you can find all these interviews that we're talking about right there. Right. So because we know that there's no way that we can possibly fit all of these interviews into a feature-length documentary film. We're sharing them uh, in, you know, cut into bite-sized portions, if you will, Mm -hmm. as we go along. And so this interview with Ken Ham was just a few weeks ago, and uh, that's why we're sharing this with you. There's two more parts after this. Next week will be parts three and four. And I'm just, uh, it was such an honor to be um, able to interact with somebody like Ken Ham. Like I said last podcast i was first introduced to him and the and the the notion of worldview and moral relativism in my junior and senior years in high school i went to a christian school and one of my best teachers ever was a man by the name of tom cashin and he introduced us to ken ham i still have a workbook that we did going through answers in genesis curriculum and uh, in which you later introduced me to Ken Ham and which started the whole <laughs> ball rolling. Right. And led to this interview. Right. And Ken Ham talks uh, all the time about worldview. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things you'll hear him talk about today is um, talking about this notion of how this 
the the worldview of naturalism. It's it's more than just evolutionism and neutrality. Yeah, there's no there's nothing neutral, uh, but that naturalism is really the worldview that you're fighting against, and and humanism. Mm-hmm. And I, somebody asked after we got back from interviewing Ken Ham what it was like to talk with him, and I said interviewing him feels like you're talking to Dr. Francis Schaefer mm. and who we talked about on the podcast. We talked about <laughs> Francis Schaefer a lot. His film series, how should we then live? And his books have been a profound influence on my life and now on your life. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's interesting. We were talking as we were going through this part two, and we, we actually, I actually had interaction with, uh, someone many years ago who I know is a firm believer who spent a good portion of his life as a high school principal of a public high school. And I remember asking him, how did you rectify in your mind being the principal of a school that taught evolution as fact, mm-hmm. knowing the truth as a believer and not being able to share that truth? And, and I'm not questioning his salvation in any way, shape or form, but his answer was very revealing. He said, well, how, how do I know that that's not how God did things? Maybe he did use millions of years. Mm -hmm. And I thought back to right after I got out of high school on my first year in college, trying to go to college the first time didn't last very long. And being confronted with being surrounded by people who had the opposite worldview that I did. Mm -hmm. And they embraced homosexuality, they embraced humanism, and they embraced the evolutionary worldview. And I remember the moment where I justified in my mind, oh, I can still be a Christian and believe these things, but each day must have been millions of years. And I embraced basically the day age theory or the gap theory Mm -hmm. and i held on to that for several years trying to justify and meld in my mind what i was being taught versus what i had been raised knowing as the truth from scripture from scripture Mm -hmm. and it didn't last long in my mind i eventually realized the, the the lord led me back to the truth that that is not the truth. It's not biblical. It's <laughs> not, not foundational. Biblical. A day is a day, mm-hmm. right? There was evening and there was morning the first day. And and I rejected the world's view and embraced the biblical one. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, let's get back to part two with our interview with Ken Ham. What is the religion of public education? You know, I believe there's been... Four major failures in regard to the way in which we have taught children or the, the coming generations, a failure in, in regard to how the church has taught. And it's, these are the four areas, and it very much then relates to understanding public education, okay? Because I find a lot of conservative churches actually totally endorse the public education system. In fact, I've even seen a lot of times even in Bible Belt areas where at graduation time they'll get the students up on stage and all of those that went to public schools, they, oh, they get all the accolades. And maybe those that went to a Christian school or a home school, they don't get 
as much in regard to accolades from, from the church. They seemed, seemed to endorse the public schools more because I think there's this idea that it's great that you kids are in the public school witnessing to the other kids, and yet the majority of those kids will leave the church because that's what t- statistics say. So here's the problem. Number one, there's been a failure to teach. There's no neutrality. A lot of people have the idea if you're not a Christian, you're neutral. If you get God, the Bible, prayer out of public schools, now it's neutral. You know, when when atheist groups like the Freedom From Religion Foundation say you can't have nativity scenes or crosses in these public places because that's religion, and so you say, okay, we'll take them away, and now they're neutral. No, now they've imposed their religion of atheism on you. So for the Christian, what does the Bible say? You're either for Christ or against. You're either walking light or darkness. There's the broad way, there's a narrow way. There's only two, two ways, there's only two roads, there's only two gates, a narrow gate or the broad gate. You build your house on the rock or you build your house on the sand. I mean, all the way through scripture, you see that it's either light or darkness, rock or sand. I mean, that's what you see all the way through scripture. There is no neutral position. Now, if we understand that, then we should look at the public schools and say, okay, from a biblical perspective, Public schools are not neutral, so they're either for Christ or against. So what are they? They're not for Christ, so therefore they are against. If they are not walking in light, then it's darkness. If the textbooks are not for Christ, they are against. See, people have this idea, oh, they're secular, they don't mention God or the Bible, they're neutral. They're secular, they start from man's word, and you have a whole secular worldview. It's, it's a whole way of thinking based on that man, finite man, determines what's right, what's wrong, what's truth, and so on. And so, therefore, don't be surprised when you look at what the world teaches in regard to right and wrong and in, in regard to issues in regard to sex or gender or anything else, because when you start from man's word, what do we read in Scripture, like Judges twenty one twenty five? When there's no king, when there's no absolute authority to tell them what to do, they all do what is right in their own eyes. So when you start with man's word, if man is the one that determines truth, ultimately anything goes except the absolutes of Christianity, you see. And, and we can come back to that in a moment yeah. because I, I found when I've, I've talked to certain uh, non-Christians like in the LGBT movement and so on, and they'll say to me, but you people, you Christians are biased. You're in, intolerant. Why am I intolerant? Because you're not allowing all views in regard to gender or all views in regard to marriage. And I say, but you're not allowing all views because you're not neutral. Well, what do you mean? We do. We, we, we just want anyone to believe what, what they want. We want to allow all views. But my view is based on the Bible that there's only two genders, male and female, because God created them that way, that marriage is a man and a woman. And other views are, are wrong. And then they say, but you're being intolerant of our view. But wait a minute, you're being intolerant of my view. Can I have my worldview based on the Bible that the Bible is true, this is God's word, and marriage is to be a man and a woman. Anything else is wrong. Well, you're being intolerant, but you're being intolerant of my worldview. See, there's a, there's a clash of worldviews. There, there are no neutral people. And so we, the Christians need to wake up that no system is neutral, no person is neutral. 
and, and in fact, think about this. What does the Bible say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Right, Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So, our heart is against God, and if we want to know what our sinful heart is like, what what is the sin nature of man? It's summed up in Genesis three one and Genesis three five. Genesis three one. Did God really say we would rather trust the word of man than the word of God? we are prone to to actually doubt and not believe the word of God. And that's why scripture says, uh, men love darkness rather than a light, and they love the praise of men rather than the praise of God, because our sin nature, our sin nature, which is there wanting to take us over all the time, like God warned Cain uh, in Genesis, and you remember Cain killed Abel, and Cain was obviously envious of Abel, and he had a heart problem and he didn't bring the uh, sacrifice in the right way and probably not the right sort of sacrifice. And so what did God say to him? Sin is crouching at the door. It's wanting to overtake you. Don't let it get the better of you, which he did. And so our sin nature is that we don't want to believe the word of God. So we are more likely to believe the word of man than the word of God. Secondly, Genesis 3, 5, um, you will be like God. We want to be our own God. We want to decide right and wrong for ourselves. We want to determine uh, what's truth and what's not. And I find with a lot of the younger generations, they've got this idea that it's their feelings. You know, I feel, even though I'm biologically a male, I feel I want to be uh, a woman, a female. Or, you know, as long as two men love each other, what does it matter if if they want to be married. I even have young people in the church say these sort of things because I feel that they're in love or I feel I want to be this or that. But have they really been taught that you can't trust your feelings? Because we're sinners biased against God. We're not neutral. So have they been taught that the Bible is the absolute authority of the word of God and therefore they should be judging their feelings against what God's word says. That's what we should be doing because you can't trust your feelings, right? We've got to understand that the Bible is the absolute authority of the word of God. We are not neutral. No system is neutral. And then the second thing is that there's no non-religious person. See, atheists will say, you believe in God, you worship God, that's religion. We don't believe in God, we're not religious. They've just arbitrarily defined religion the way they want to try to intimidate Christians into thinking that, oh, uh, atheists are not religious people. Actually, if you look up the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, you'll find that in regard to religion, it has different aspects of the definition. And one aspect is a system of belief, a principle held to with ardor and faith, which defines atheism. Do atheists believe anything? Well, they believe there's no God. They believe all life is a result of natural processes. Can they prove those things scientifically? Absolutely not. So they have these beliefs that determine their worldview. If there's no God, then they determine what's right and wrong for themselves. The Bible's not true. Uh, if they evolve by natural processes, they're just an animal. So why shouldn't they decide to do what they want to do with sex and so on? And remember, atheistic evolution is taught as fact in the public education system. And it's not, 
people have been indoctrinated to believe, oh, that's science. But when it comes to dealing with science, that's a whole other issue because the word science means knowledge. And you can gain knowledge by observation using your five senses in the present that builds technology. But when it comes to origins, that's a whole different matter. You weren't there. You didn't see this happen. And what you believe about where you came from affects your whole worldview. So don't be shocked if an education system that has thrown God out, the Bible out, prayer out, teaches evolution as fact, now has a worldview consistent with the foundation that man determines truth, therefore everyone does what is right in his own eyes, therefore anything goes except the absolutes of Christianity that say that's wrong and you can't do that. And so everyone has a religion. And then thirdly, we haven't raised up generations to be thinking foundationally. Because we live in the world, see, we live in the Broadway. The Broadway is the world. The narrow way is within the Broadway going in the opposite direction. And because we're biased against God from fertilization, because we have that sin nature right from fertilization, therefore we are going to have the wrong way of thinking unless we do what the scripture says to conform our way of thinking to what God has taught us. In other words, we have got to work hard and we have to work hard with our children right from when they're born, praying for them before they're born, to give them the right foundation to pour the salt of biblical truth in and prepare them for all the questions they're going to hear today, the world they're living in, uh, so that they're filled with biblical salt They've already got the answers. They're equipped to defend the Christian faith so they have the right foundation, so they'll have the right worldview. You can't throw your kids to the world and, and, and say they're going to be salt when the Scripture says you can't be salt till you have it. Uh, Mark 9, you can't be salt till you have it. And when you read you know, Matthew 5 and, and Mark 9, if the salt's contaminated, it's no longer good for anything. I think what many Christians have done really and the church has encouraged this in many ways, send your kids to the secular education system because they're to be witnesses out there. And what it's done, it's poured in contaminated salt and dragged them away and they've walked away from the church. At church, we tell them about Jesus and don't worry about Genesis because that's not important. So if you don't have that foundation, you don't have a foundation for your worldview. And... Um, and it's, it's, a, it's an utter mess out there. So we haven't, haven't taught them to think foundationally so they know what to believe. What do you believe about marriage, about gender, about abortion, any of these issues? That's part of your worldview that starts from God's word. And then the other aspect is we haven't taught them apologetics. We haven't said, what are the questions that they're going to get today? You know, when I was brought up in Australia, um, we were transferred because my father was a teacher to different country towns. And often we'd run across a pastor who had been impacted by liberal theology from the seminaries. And my, past, my father realised how that could cause us to doubt God's word, you know, teaching against the miracles, trying to explain them all by natural processes and so on. And so my father started to research what the liberal theologians were teaching so that he could equip us with answers so that if we heard that teaching, we would realise what the answers were because he didn't want us being led astray and doubting God's word. And you know, what, what I would say is this, if we stand back, if you want to look at the big picture, what has really happened to the church in our modern times? 
Why have we seen an exodus of the younger generations from the church? Because we have. We have to admit the church is not impacting the culture like it did. We've, we've lost most of the younger generations. What happened? What is wrong? Got to stand back and look at it from a big picture perspective. In the late 1700s, early 1800s, out of atheism and deism came this religion of naturalism that started to permeate our modern era. For instance, there are atheists who said, okay, we don't believe in the flood of Noah's day. We don't believe in the Bible. So how do you explain fossils? The fossil layers didn't get there from the flood of Noah's day. So they were laid down over millions of years before man. Now, what happened in the 1800s? For instance, a man called Thomas Chalmers, the founder of the Free Church of Scotland said, we can take the millions of years and put them in a gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 and invented the gap theory, which has permeated churches and colleges. In fact, the Schofield Reference Bible has the gap theory in the notes there. And it's all this whole idea of trying to fit millions of years in between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. As my father taught me, remember with study Bibles, the notes are not inspired like the text and the text God's word is the commentary on the notes and should always be that way. Then along came Darwin, popularizing those ideas of natural selection and life evolving over, over millions of years and ape-like creatures into people. And church leaders said, we'll say God used evolution. And then along came the Big Bang, we'll say God used the Big Bang. And before long, you start to see permeating through churches and through our Christian colleges and seminaries, Bible colleges, all sorts of different positions on Genesis to accommodate evolution and, and or millions of years. So theistic evolution, progressive creation, local flood, framework hypothesis, gap theory, and all sorts of other ideas. In fact, very creative ideas uh, for people to try to fit millions of years into the Bible. Because people would say to me, well, what's your view? And I would say, oh, the biblical one. I just take it as written, right? Now, what, what started to happen then Generations of kids were going to the public education system, teaching evolution as fact, and they were coming to our churches and they've got all these questions and a lot of our Christian leaders, in fact, the majority of them, have been telling them, you can believe what you're taught at school, evolution, millions of years, doesn't matter, maybe God used evolution, whatever, don't worry about Genesis, trust in Jesus, Johnny. But you see, it's, it's, it's like, I had an old lady once, she said to me, well, I believed in the gap theory. It didn't affect my salvation. And I said, no, because, you know, the Bible doesn't, doesn't put, you know, the age of the earth, what you believe about that, or, you know, Darwin's ideas, uh, you know, what you believe about that in regard to salvation. Salvation is conditioned upon faith in Christ. It's Christ alone, right? Faith alone. I said, but you know what it does affect? How the coming generations that you impact when you're a Sunday school teacher or a parent or a grandparent, how they view scripture itself. See, this is what I think many parents and, and, and churches don't get. It's an issue of biblical authority. That's what it is. It comes down to an issue of biblical authority. And generationally, we've seen uh, since the 1800s, this door being opened, you don't have to take the Bible as written in Genesis, you can reinterpret it, but trust in Jesus, Johnny. And then that door gets opened further and further and further and further and further until we start to see those generations increasingly leaving the church. And what does the church do? The church's answer has been basically increased entertainment. 
And I have to tell you, I have a bird's eye view of the church that most people don't have, right? And the reason they don't have it, how many people can say they have spoken in all 50 states in America, hundreds and hundreds of churches and different denominations across the board and colleges and seminaries and actually done that all around the world? But I've done that. And uh, let me tell you the bird's eye view, okay? Now, this is not every church. I'm not saying there are not some great Bible teaching pastors out there. There are that stand with answers in Genesis, but they're the minority. But here's what I see. The focus has become this. We're losing the coming generations. We need to increase music. And what I have seen, this is the pattern I've seen, because a lot of churches think that they're doing something unique. They're all copying each other, if you ask me. And you have this stage that becomes lit with all these colored lights and they have a praise team on stage and they'll sing these songs that are mostly performance oriented. And what I mean by that is I watch. You stand up for an hour and sing four songs 50 times each or whatever it is that you have. I have people laugh when I say that because I say I'm describing your church, aren't I? So, but mostly the congregation doesn't sing most of those songs because now the I'm not saying you can't have performance songs. Of course you can have performance songs. Choirs do performance songs, right? But mostly the music has become performance. And what I've noticed is an increase in the amount of music and it's sort of, it actually becomes the dominant feature of church and Bible teaching is relegated to, you know, sort of often even less time than the music or it's it, they're very short sermons usually. I mean, I... <laughs> You know, one of my my favorite preachers of all times, he, he spoke in the, you know, in the uh, 20th century was uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, from England and a great expositional teacher. I don't think he hardly ever spoke for less than an hour, right? And you'd be captivated by saying a lot of times today it's 20 minutes, 25 minutes, whatever. Um, but, and, and it's very watered down teaching. They're not teaching apologetics. Uh, it's it's mainly from the Bible, within the Bible, if you know what I mean, sort of like Bible stories, Jonah the Great Fish feeding the 5,000, or let's look at this passage here from Matthew or whatever, and sort of, don't get me wrong, we need to teach what the Bible teaches, but the Bible is more than that. It's the foundation for your worldview. Are we equipping people with the foundation for their doctrine so they know why they believe what they do, and then saying, but we need to also warn you about the, what the world's going to say and here's the answer to what they're saying so that you will, you will know why you believe what you do and you can be a witness out there. And I mean, mostly I think churches have become centred on, on music as being the dominant feature. You know, and I don't want people to get me wrong. My philosophy of music is the best of the old and the best of the new. Whereas I think a lot of churches, it's none of the old and the worst of the new. Uh, so, and you know, we tend to have this idea today that everything of the past you throw out, mm -hmm. right? And it's only got to be what whatever is we have of the present. And that's that's really become true of Genesis, the past, the Old Testament. You know, it's you sort of throw it out. Genesis, it's way back there. It's old. You you throw it. Out. Actually, Genesis is the foundation for the whole of the Bible. So there's this philosophy that seems to permeate everyone's thinking that, you know, anything old or of the past, you know, when we stood for marriage as a man and woman or, or whatever, I mean, that's, that's gone. Now we've got to do something new. 
And you, and you notice what's happening. A lot of churches even are becoming soft on the LGBTQ worldview or abortion, the gender issues and so on, because I've had them say, but culture is changing. Yes, but God's word has never changed. Culture is changing. God's word's never, never changed. And we need to be bold and stand on the word of God. But what we should have been doing is saying, why is culture changing? What has happened here? And what do I need to do about it? Thank you guys for sticking around to the end and joining this journey. If you have missed any of these episodes, be sure to check out fearlessfeatures.org where you can find and search the archives for past interviews and even the episode before this one. It's also a great place where you can make that one-time or monthly donation to help us in this effort to be light, share truth, and educate, motivate, and inspire others to get involved and take a stand for biblical principles and values. Thank you so much. We look forward to talking to you again next week as we share and upload new content every Tuesday and Thursday. Have a wonderfully blessed day. We'll talk to you again next week.